Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I do like this tradition of uh, anytime Evan isn't on an episode, we have Ken and Mick on the episode. The bobblehead version of Ken and Mick, that is. Sometimes we have real Ken, sometimes we have bobblehead Ken. It's always bobblehead Mick, for now. <laughs> for now, we're working on it. Um, it's not so bad. They talk about the same amount. I was really hoping that would be like one of the audio cues where it was like very short and succinct. Yeah, well, more energy. Yeah. That's, oh. that's for sure. Then Evan? Yeah. Evan is a, uh, if they put him in a a lab, like an audio engineering lab, he'd be excellent, excellent test fodder for audio engineering students. It's like, hey, you need this guy's voice, but you have to somehow filter out all of the <laughs> world's loudest head scratching, which seems to be a product of his hat, but he refuses to not wear the hat. <laughs> and some kind of triple reinforced polyester that's noise enhanced with those old sun chips bags. Do you remember those? <laughs> And he wears it indoors in the summertime. <laughs> but you still need his voice. And uh, he talks for about two minutes an episode, but it's a crucial two minutes. So figure it out, kids. And that's like their final thesis. Like that's their final project. College drop up, dropout rates in that program skyrocket. <laughs> well, you could make a lot of money renting Evan out as a crash test dummy for audio engineering. <laughs> On my CV now, I write I'm a pro audio engineer. I've had to deal with the devil. I still do. uh anyhow speaking of evan we are the two hosts two remaining hosts on this episode of the winged wheel podcast i'm ryan hannah i'm brad crisco mostly uh by the way you or we i actually don't know yawn too much that's the latest feedback is too much yawning and i was like well in fairness uh we're more or less just waking up but i can't guarantee that that's going to go away throughout the season (laughs) I will probably long, yawn less in roughly 16 to 20 years. Just, yeah, which is a blink in podcast time because we've already been doing this for six. Yeah, so just like, you know, times it by three to four and then I'll be less tired because, you know, I'll actually get to sleep at night and sleep in a little bit and, you know, generally have some downtime. You know, now I'm going to be a, an asshole and make, make fun of you for saying times it instead of multiply it by. Don't care. They understood it. You're far, you're further than me than most episodes. So I'm not as scared of the knife that you have. <laughs> Wing wheel podcast knives. Have an enemy? <laughs> Want to make one? Um, okay, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to kick off our divisional previews uh, by uh, starting with a conference preview. Last episode, obviously, there was a pretty major piece of news that we needed to dissect, which took up the time for a usual division preview. Uh, so we are doing both Western Conference divisions in this episode, as well as an interview with Mike Comito, uh, author, author of the three Hockey 365 book series, The Second Period, has just released yesterday at the time of recording. Um, we recorded that interview with him yesterday as well. So um, a lot of great, uh, fun stories from Mike in that interview, as well as insight into the LA Kings, who he works for. So um, good way to transition into those divisional previews and some Red Wings news, which we'll cover first. But before all of that, I do, of course, want to talk to you about the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, which is an organization that we're very, very um, 
proud to be partnered with. The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative, and it was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wing's lead announcer, Ken Daniels, and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. The foundation strives to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Okay, last episode, we had discussed the um, Tyler Bertuzzi um, unvaccinated uh, decision whole ordeal and we had hoped to just cover it once get it over with and only discuss it again anytime it was relevant anyways this is the very next episode and here's an update uh so i believe within the world of the nba there was an exception that has been provided to that league to allow players from opposing teams into canada to play the toronto raptors um in toronto so that exception comes with a myriad of different conditions so whoever comes in they're going to face very very severe restrictions on what they can do but altogether they would allow unvaccinated players of the nba in under special circumstances um anyone's opinion on that decision by the canadian federal government notwithstanding uh that is an exception that was granted to the nba and is possible to be granted to the MLB and the NHL provided that they apply for it. And so the initial reaction from Red Wings fans and fans of, you know, the New Jersey Devils and the Edmonton Oilers and fans of teams across the league who have, you know, publicly known unvaccinated players are like, oh, so can these players now play and however many X number of games that they're going to miss in Canada? Um, the answer in the NHL is no, because Bill Daly and the NHL have come out and said um, they are not going to apply for this exemption. They are going to move forward as is. They have very few players who are unvaccinated. And the statement didn't go into a lot of depth. But I think what we can gather here is one of two things, or maybe two of two. I don't know what your opinion is, Brad. First, not a lot of players, probably not worth the administrative hassle, the restrictions hassle, the liability, like how much you know, it's a lot of political capital to use. It's it's whatever it might be. We don't know how severe the restrictions are going in. And two, the NHL is saying it's 10 to 15 players or whatever it might be. Why would we accommodate them when everyone else is doing it? So maybe this is another pressure tactic by the NHL. Yeah, it's absolutely a pressure tactic because they can strong arm the players, whether you think they should or not, just because there is so few of them. Um and the NHL probably doesn't want to go through another year of COVID-19 protocols and, and people going missing games because of they're in the protocol or they've had exposure or they've actually caught COVID-19. And the NHL clearly wants a hundred percent vaccination rate. So if strong arming them gets them a little bit closer to that hundred percent vaccination rate, it's probably worth it to them. Um, and yeah, but I think by and large, the main reason here is it's like probably going to end up being less than 10 players because a couple of the ones who were publicly unvaccinated, Bodie Wild and Zach Ronaldo, have been banished to Sweden in the AHL. So uh, given that we haven't heard more prominent names to the level of a Tyler Bertuzzi and a Mackenzie Blackwood, it makes me think that number is going to be in the single digits of players who are actively playing in the NHL this year. Because uh, like it or not, teams aren't going to recall AHL guys who aren't vaccinated. They will likely bypass them yeah. for the next player in line who is vaccinated because they don't want to go through the protocol and they don't want to deal with all the extras that come along with it, fair or not. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's fairly simple as to why. Yeah, it's not worth the headache, and they want the vaccination rate at a hundred. So if it applies pressure to these players, hey, we're going to inconvenience the hell out of you, and you're going to lose salary until you get the vaccine. So be it. Yeah, and the I, I don't think the NHL would ever say that part out loud. No, God, no, they would never say that part reasons. out loud. No. No, no, no. That but, is that is absolutely not going to be uh, public policy. Yeah, that's the quiet part. Um, <laughs> and what it comes down to, again, without distilling opinion into this, it comes down to wanting as much uninterrupted hockey as possible. These owners have lost a lot of money. These players have lost a lot of money. The league is going to prioritize cash, as we can see from everything, from ads on jerseys to... Uh, the vaccination restrictions to everything. They want as much hockey as uninterrupted as possible. Um, okay, something else I want to cover quickly. I actually didn't mention to you in the pre-show. Andre Deniskin uh, oh, right, yeah. in the UHL, the Ukrainian Hockey League, was ejected for one of the most disgusting acts of blatant racism I've ever seen recorded on the ice. Uh, he mimicked peeling a banana and eating it, gesturing towards uh, black opponent Jalen S- uh, Smerick, who I believe is a Detroit native, actually. I think, yeah, I know he's Michigan for sure. Um, yeah, I look all I, I understand this is like hockey meathead, like caveman testosterone angry part of me speaking, but how the hell did that guy leave the ice with his teeth? <laughs> I I just cannot imagine a quicker way for for everyone to hop the boards and absolutely bum rush that guy and make sure that he regrets that that specific act for the rest of his life. Well, we only caught the I only caught the very end of it. Like the only video I saw was basically two seconds before the gesture. Yeah. So I didn't see the scrum or the altercation or whatever that led to the gesture. But in a typical coward fashion he waited till the refs were there yeah he waited till there was nobody within swinging distance of him he waited till he knew they couldn't do anything about it because uh, the refs were there to protect him so yeah um i don't know if he got tossed out of the game or whatever he, did. But, he got ejected yeah yeah so the other team mainly didn't have a chance to get at him and then the response from the IIHF was, we condemn this strongly and then handed down a nothing sandwich of a suspension. Well, that wasn't them. That was the UHL, I believe. Yeah, but so, they're sanctioned in coordination with the IIHF or whatever it is. It's a three-game suspension plus 10, but apparently if he pays a certain amount of money, he can get around the 10-game suspension. And I I'm, I, would not be surprised to see further something for international play, but how much international ice was this guy going to see? Look, I, I I don't pretend to be an expert into the rules of the UHL, um, <laughs> but whatever they dictate, if you're the commissioner of that league, you have to call for, you know, extreme circumstances or whatever it might be and just get that guy's ass out of the league. Does not belong in hockey, plain and simple. Fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah like – I'm sorry. Apologies for anyone who's listening with kids in the car. I'm sorry. I owe you. I owe your parents a drink and I owe you. I don't know. You can slap Brad when we when we all get together at the meetup. But absolutely no way. It pisses me off that that guy was able to do what he did and leave the ice. The world of hockey has not been this unified on something in a long time. Yeah, honestly. (laughs) Like legitimately. The Tampa Bay being 18 mil over the cap was more divisive than this. <laughs> I just wanted to call it out. 
because it's something gross. <sighs> anyways, anyways, it's a shame. It's a damn shame. Yeah. Um, proud of Jalen for for taking a step back from playing in that league and and doing what he needs to do. And if he ever goes back and plays, I hope it's it's the right situation for him. And if he doesn't go back proud of him for making whatever decision is best for him yeah his leave of absence is likely uh him talking to his agent and said get me a contract anywhere else please yeah anywhere else anywhere else especially i don't know i'm not gonna start having conversations about (laughs) the ukrainian hockey league why are we talking about the ukrainian hockey league dumbest shit Ugh. anyhow Great, I've gone and riled myself up. Why don't we do something fun here? Why don't we jump in uh, to the interview that uh, we had yesterday with Mike Camito, author of Hockey 365. A lot of good fun, uh, a couple of really great stories in there, and a preview of the LA Kings. So without further ado, that interview with Mike Camito. So Mike, the last time we talked, uh, this podcast was recorded in a uh, basement of one of the other hosts. I'm not showing you a view. I'm just showing you like the corner of my, the studio right now. It was, I don't know how many years ago, the passage of time means nothing. And <laughs> you had just published the first edition of Hockey 365. And here we are today. Um, I promise you we're in a studio. You have now, mm-hmm. just as of today, released your second book, Hockey 365, The Second Period. Mike Camito, welcome back to the Winged Wheel Podcast. How does it feel? Thanks, Ryan. It feels good to be back. It's funny. So that was three years ago, and and you said you were in a basement. I was actually, we had scheduled it in the evening, and I was coming back from a work trip, and I had just landed at the airport, and I took the call from my phone while my buddy drove me home, and then I stayed outside and finished the call outside my house. I think it was, it must have been around... The book came out in September, but I feel like it was a cold night, but I couldn't go in the house because like my my wife was in there with my daughter, who was probably just going to bed, so... I, I, I champed it out outside for you guys, but it's nice. I'm inside tonight, so it's good. And you're <laughs> and you're in Sudbury. <laughs> no wonder yeah. it took you three years to come back on the show. <laughs> I'd be pissed. Yeah, I had to make sure that I got a nice, cozy spot in the house before taking any more uh, invitations. Well, I'm glad we learned our lesson this time and didn't uh, scare you away. Uh, for listeners new, which there are plenty of you since the last time we talked to Mike, uh, Mike Camito is the author of the three, Hockey 365 series uh, published by Dundurn Press. He's obviously he's also a contributor for the LA Kings uh, and director of research and development at Cambrian College. Uh, research and development, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Mike, uh, Mike wears a lot of impressive hats and... Uh, Honestly, just the Hockey 365 book has the first one has been fantastic to just have around the studio and pick up and either read on the day or, you know, skip ahead quite often. But tell us a little bit about the series and uh, specifically about this second version of the book. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate that. It's uh, it's uh, it's always nice to hear that it's it's being used, uh, you know, as a resource or that and even that you have it, I think, is a great thing. However, you're using it is is, is fine by me. But yeah, it's. um. The, the first book, and I mean, they're both pretty much the same concept, right? But it kind of originated from a lot of the stuff that I was doing on social media, you know, sharing daily moments in hockey history on Twitter. And then as I started to do more writing, um, you know, I started kind of building up a portfolio of different hockey stories. And I just kind of thought that, um, you know, maybe there's a book idea here, right? I, I've thought of like how word of the day calendars are a thing that people have on the side of their desk. Maybe there's a way to take some of these, you know, facts that I was sharing on on social media and some of these more expanded stories and put it all together in a book and tell one story for every day of the year. Uh, and so that's that's honestly how it started. It came to me on a 
I guess on a beach, a beach in Mexico in, in the winter of 2017, I was reading Val James's book, uh, who was the first black, Af- uh, black African, uh, black, sorry, black American player to play in the NHL. And, uh, I was reading his book and I just thought that at the time I was reading nothing but hockey books. Um, and I just figured, you know, this is really, w- this is really what I'm reading all the time. This is really what I should be writing a book about. At the time I was under contract with the university press to do something in a very unrelated field. And I just thought that why wait until that other contract was done? Uh, if you, if I wanted to write a hockey book, I should write a hockey book. And so basically on the way back home on the flight, I'd scribbled out an outline that was basically the the format for what hockey 365 would be. Uh, and then when I got back to Sudbury, uh, in a, in the cold winter, I started to get together a, a more, you know, structured framework, you know, we started working with an agent to get the book kind of shopped around and then, uh, you know, wrote it that summer. It came out the following September when not long after we had initially talked and then it was kind of, I'd always knew that there was probably going to be another volume just because there's so much hockey history out there that you could fill many volumes uh, with different stories, especially given the fact that, you know, it's three years have passed since the first book came out. And there's been a lot that's happened in the hockey world then that I think, you know, warrants some attention in this book. And so I hadn't actually planned on writing the book when I did. Um, it just so happened that because of the pandemic, uh, a lot of the stuff that I was doing for the Kings and for the Sudbury Wolves here locally was kind of on hiatus. And I thought, if there was ever a time to start a project that is not going to see the light of day for a long time, it might be now when I didn't have those other responsibilities because, you know, I, I love writing those stories that you share online that are shared immediately and you can see, you know, the, the return on them. But a book is like a process that takes months and you never, you never see the return until almost, you know, a year or so later. So uh, it just kind of made sense that, you know, that would be the time. My, uh, my wife likes to say that I didn't ask, I didn't tell her I was doing this. I just went ahead and did it. I like to pretend, I like to think that I talked to her about it, but she insists that I just did it. And we just kind of dealt with, you know, trying to balance uh, writing a book in a pandemic with, with two little ones at home, but it's okay. The book is out now. We all survive. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of what happened with, with the initial uh, idea for the book and then just kind of revisiting now in the last year or so just, it's, it felt like the right time. And, and I had a lot of fun doing the second one, uh, learned some things along the way from the first one, but, uh, but all in all, it's a great, uh, you know, you and I are talking on the day that it is officially released. Uh, so it's it's a great feeling. That's right. You had your launch with uh, Jeff Merrick earlier today, fellow another friend of the podcast. Um, so your your head must just constantly be floating around with random hockey tidbits, whether it be like in two weeks, Austin Matthews scored his first ever hat or some, whatever that is. I actually think that might actually be in two weeks, Austin Matthews, because his first NHL game, he scored four goals. Yeah, October 12th. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah so i should know that you know um yeah, it was no it's it's true though because i even like obviously i have like my twitter my twitter or sorry my tweets are always said in advance because i can't possibly fire them out during the work day um not a good practice so it's they're always loaded but i always have these reminders in my calendar to say you know this happened on this day though so don't forget to like put the video out because you can't preload a video most of the time. And so it's constantly things of making sure like, did I get this thing from last year? Like with the lightning winning the cup, you know, last year, I didn't have a tweet for that day. So I had to remember like, when did the lightning win the cup? And you got to make sure that you hit all these moments. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant, uh, you know, battle for, for, I think horsepower up in, up, up in the brain to try to balance work, home life, making sure that this hawk history fact goes out this day. You you have no excuse for ever missing a birthday. You realize that, right? You can no, never I, yeah. forget one. <laughs> really set myself up for that, right? It's like you yeah. can't remember my birthday, but you remember that Gordy House scored a hat trick on this day. <laughs> well, on that note, um, 
filter through and find your favorite, uh, maybe some Red Wings related stories. What's your favorite Red Wings related story that you have or one that's in this, uh, this new book? Yeah, no, and it's funny because I remember when we last spoke and I knew that you guys were obviously a Red Wings podcast, I had, didn't have the foresight to actually like pull any stories out before we did the interview. And I actually remember you guys asking me, and I think I had like outside in the cold, a panic moment saying like, I, I don't know if I even had a good idea. I think after I got in the house, I thought of some, and I'm like, I should have said that, but I came prepared this time. I have a few in front of me. Um, one of the ones that I had, uh, talked about with, uh, with Jeff Merrick today for the launch was the Gordy Howe night. Uh, and so the Red Wings did this on March 3rd, 1959. And I love these old, uh, player nights that they used to do the league obviously doesn't do them anymore but you know back in the day it was pretty common for for teams to celebrate players that were still active and on the roster and the thing that was always notable about these these nights was that typically players perform performed poorly on those nights uh it was just always like kind of this like uh you know superstitious thing where if you got your your, your the night that was honoring you with that team like odds are you the, the team probably lost and you played poorly and so but despite that, they were always showered with gifts. And I'm talking like extravagant things like, you know, I think in this night, Gordy Howe got a like a diamond ring. Um, you know, other players got rowboats, uh, color TVs, uh, as, as Jeff Merrick pointed out, um, you know, all, all sorts of like grandiose things that uh, that you wouldn't see now when you celebrate a milestone in the NHL. And so for Gordy Howe's night, they give him all this all this stuff that he's going to take home and, and do with whatever with. But then at the end of the celebration, they bring out this old Oldsmobile on the ice and it's wrapped in cellophane. It has a bow on the top of it. And what Gordy doesn't know that his parents are in the car uh, and his parents at that point hadn't seen him play live in the NHL. And so as the car gets closer, he realizes that his, you know, his mom, Catherine, and his dad, Albert, are in, in the back seat. And he goes to grab the handle uh, to open the car and he sees them and he just kind of has this moment where you know, he, he bows his head because he's just so surprised and caught off guard because he had no idea that they were coming in from Saskatchewan, right? So um, it's one of those moments where it's, it's obviously there's no visuals in the book, so there is no picture of, of Gordy with his, with his head down. But it's, it's, it, I really like that one because obviously in today's age of social media and travel, um, like that moment would never happen again, right? Like you're typically, you know, at, at an early age, your parents are seeing you play hockey. And if you're making the NHL odds are one of them, if not both of them have seen you at some point, whether they've had to go to a different city to see you, um, they followed you around. But I think certainly in 1959, um, you know, coming from the, you know, the means that the Howe family came from that, that wasn't necessarily possible. So that's a really cool one for me. It always sticks out, but again, I love it because of the old, you know, the traditional nature of those, those player nights. And, you know, we don't see those anymore, but I just loved we're going back and pulling an article for, for any player night and just seeing the list of all the gifts and just being like, wow, that's a, that's a pretty nice haul. So the wings are obviously a very storied franchise. Was it difficult to not overload the book with just a few franchises with like dense histories, like the, like the Red Wings, like the Canadians, uh, Mm -hmm. other original six teams really? Yeah, no, I think that's a good point because obviously when you when you go back and you look at NHL history, like because they've been around for as long as they have, you could definitely go, I think, in too many like in and focus too heavily on, on those six teams. But I tried to balance it out. I mean, I'm uh I think it's not a secret that I'm a Leafs fan. So obviously we're part of that same era where I could have, I think, leaned heavily on that. But I'm mindful of the fact that, you know, not everybody's a Leaf fan and a lot of people don't like the Leafs. So I didn't want to write a book that would just appeal to me. So there are quite a few Red Wing stories in the book, but by no means, um, I think, is it slanted towards, you know, the Wings or the Leafs or the or the Canadians, the Bruins. I think there's quite a few stories that represent those those franchises from the original six era. 
Uh, but I w- I've been mindful, I think, especially with the first book, having gone through to noticing that I didn't really have a lot of Minnesota wild stories, for example. And so I made sure that I think almost every, every active club is covered in some way. Um, I might be off on that. It's been, you know, when you're in the moment, you know exactly what you're writing. Then as the months go by, you forget, oh, actually I did write that story or I forgot all about that story. So, um, it's, you know, I think there's, it's a decent amount of representation, but it's not necessarily overkill. I think one of the fun things for Red Wings fans is that in the book, um, I do, I account for leap year. So there's a February 29th day, which, you know, you would think is, is difficult to find something significant that happened on that day. In the first book, it was Gordie Howe happened to score his 800th goal uh, on February 29th, 1980. He was obviously not with the Red Wings at the time. He was with the Whalers, but still, that was a good moment. And in this book, uh, it was when Nick Lidstrom, Lidstrom played his 1,000th game, and that was 2004 on a, on a leap year, or a leap day, sorry. And so that was, uh, that's an interesting one, too. Not necessarily as interesting as the How one, but it was, I was kind of able to go back and found some old, uh, you know, some, some interviews that Lidstrom gave at the time where he talked about joining the league and at the time when he was a rookie, I forget the player's name on the Red Wings, but he reached the thousandth uh, mile, game milestone that season. And, and Lidstrom couldn't imagine playing that long that he would reach a thousand games. And of course, he ended up playing, you know, well after that date in 2004. So kind of, uh, kind of a cool retrospective on on his early career as to hopefully getting to that point, and then you know his goal after hitting a thousand, hoping to play on and and potentially go after that you know, that most games played uh, milestone for defense, but he obviously didn't get there, but he got pretty darn close. All right. So I'm not going to ask you to spoil the whole book because we want people to read it, <laughs> but uh, you did, you had a second go around at this and after the first one and after, you know, you know, promoting and, and doing speaking engagements and, and uh, talking on Twitter and having your brand, your brain was already full of hockey stories. Were there any stories that made it into the second book in your second round of research where you were like, how did I not find this the first time? This is a great story. Like, I'm shocked that I didn't know this. There were, I mean, there, there was a couple from the first book where I'd made mistakes. And so like, I actually had to, like, I had to chuck them out of the first one because I got the day wrong. And so I had to actually find an entirely new story. And then I was able to save those for the second book. Um, But that's, that's a really good question because I think at the time, you are like, I know that if I think back in the three years that preceded this book coming out, like I was like filing things away, like in, in my mind, not necessarily on paper, because like I said, I didn't plan on, on writing when I did, but I think, um, there was a moment in the second writing process where, um, I had already written a story for, I forget the date. I think it's February 22nd. I don't even remember what the original story was, but I had remembered on, like I was going for a walk one night and I'm like, that's the night that David Ayers, you know, beat the Leafs. Um, and this was obviously just like, you know, maybe five months ago, right? This is right before the pandemic happened. And so I was like, I have to put that in there. Like as much as it pains me, it's a pretty significant moment. He was the first like e-bug to win an NHL game. Um, so I, I ended up scrapping whatever story that I had written for that day um, and threw that in there because I thought, you know, given the significance of, of it just happening and I think even the, the it was still historic, even outside of the fact that everyone was piling on the Leafs for for this happening. I had to include that. So there's definitely some moments where, as you go through, you're like, oh, I should I should have done this one. And you know, sometimes you'll make the change, but I know that in the back of my mind, uh, there'll likely be a third period, and so there's still opportunities, I think, to incorporate some of those other stories uh, down the road. Awesome. So again, folks, the book is called Hockey 365: The Second Period, More Daily Stories from the Ice. Wherever you get your books, I'm assuming, Mike, that's where they can get yep. it. 
published by Dundurn Press. And again, Mike Camito is the excellent author. Uh, we'll be giving away a copy. So stay tuned on Twitter um, on how to win one of those. But we highly encourage you to pick this up. It's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding to just kind of dive into it every day. And if you miss a week, then you have a whole week to catch up on. Uh, I had a blast with the first one. We're going to have a blast with the second one. Um, Mike, I want to take up some of your time to talk about the LA Kings. So you've been yeah. embedded with the Kings uh, before, and the Pacific Division is um, obviously pretty interesting this year. And so with Seattle coming in and obviously with LA and, and their good fortunes and rebuild, what is your take on this team? You know, this is a team that Kind of some people might have thought they re- they started the rebuild too late and they were skeptical of the path they were going for a while. And, you know, from the, when those conversations were happening two, three years ago to now, it seems like a total 180. Yeah, mm-hmm. They have Quentin Byfield coming in. They have Alex Turcotte coming in. They have Kaliev coming in. They picked up Deneau. They, they've made a lot of moves. H- have the Kings accomplished, in your mind, you know, a rapid rebuild here? What do you What's your outlook on them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely interesting heading into this season. I think that if you're to look at what they've done, you know, over the offseason, also bringing in Arvidsson, um, you know, to really kind of, they still have a lot of veterans now, like in, in, in addition to the existing veteran core that they still have, that I think is very much keen to try to win again, right? So I think that the expectations for the team, I think among the players, certainly, and I think even maybe among the fans is that this is going to be a team that's going to contend for a playoff spot this year. Um, obviously we know that the Pacific division is, is rather weak. So if there was a division that the Kings, you know, would want to find themselves in at the, at this trend, like that, at this pivotal point in the rebuild, it would be in the Pacific. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's been interesting over the last couple of weeks to kind of hear, you know, the perspective of players like, like Dowdy and Kopitar and how, you know, I don't think necessarily that they've forced management's hand. I think that management was always ready to take the step, but I think that they've clearly heard, what the players have been saying that they don't want to go through, you know, another year, two more years of, of losing, right. That these are players that still, you know, have won not that long ago and still want to win, um, especially as they're getting older. And so, um, you know, I have, I'm going into the season optimistic that they'll be in contention for a playoff spot. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, I think what some of those new additions do, I think certainly as they kind of start to bring up some of those younger players, um, in, in addition to like having, you know, Kopitar Brown and Doughty around, I think bringing in other guys like, like Deneau and Arvidsson is, is a good fit to hopefully kind of like, uh, assist in that transition as these younger players kind of move up into the ranks. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's an int- it'll be an interesting season for sure. You know, I've, I've spent the last, when I started with the Kings, it was, you know, the 2018, 19 season. And we were, you know, it was just like pretty much, we knew that it was not necessarily going to be, uh, you know, it was going to be a, a painful year. Right. And so, I, they they kind of let me focus on a lot of the, the the historical stories that didn't necessarily have to do with the on ice product, and you know you would get these remarks from time to time when you would post a story about like something that Luke Robitaille did back in the day, and you'd see that the replies on Facebook and be like, well, what has he done this week? And it's like, all right, okay, well let's let's be patient. This this story <laughs> I think could still be enjoyed without you know having the, you know the two tied to the the on ice product. So. You know, I, yeah, I think I think there are some expectations this year. Certainly, I don't think it's 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 necessarily dire by any means, but I think um, it, it's it's a year to take that that next step. It's it's obviously it's not easy to amass the the prospect pool and the you know the the the, the talent that the Kings have in their cupboard, but obviously this this next step is the most critical and crucial part, right? It's 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 not necessarily easy just to decide that the rebuild's over and hopefully that everything that we've assembled and amassed is is gonna is gonna make that next step, but. Um, I, th- I think they're at a, a good position to do that. 
You mentioned Kopitar and Doughty, and and Doughty's a guy who gets quite a bit of there's a lot of polarizing opinions on him. I mean, Kopitar is still pretty well regarded as one of the top two-way centers in the league. But Drew Doughty, you know, you have people who are staunch defenders who say he should be on Team Canada come the Olympics. He's still mm-hmm. one of the best defensemen in the league. Drew Doughty, obviously, being in that camp, he's very proud of his play and, and, and works his ass off. Um, and there's another crowd that says, you know, according to the statistics, and if you look at the on-ice play, Doughty's over the hill. Um, how pivotal is it for that Doughty Kopitar core to perform, to bring this team to the playoffs, or do you think there needs to be support from elsewhere? I.e., you know, a phenomenal season from Peterson, or uh, I think Mikey Anderson is, is projected to have a much bigger role this year. How does that dynamic work, at least in your mind? Yeah, no, I think it's definitely going to have to be like an all, all systems go type approach. I think certainly Doughty's motivated this year. Um, I think he was on, I've, I've listened to a couple of podcasts with him recently. Uh, he was, you know, as part of the media tour with 32 thoughts. And then he was on the ESPN podcast with Linda Cohn and, uh, and Emily Kaplan, just talking about how, you know, it's, I, I love Doughty because again, he, he just says whatever comes into his head, you know, and it's, it's kind of one of those things where we want players to kind of, uh, to be more forthcoming with their thoughts. And then, you know, he'll say something controversial and then, you know, people will complain about how, you know, he, he shouldn't have said that or, or whatever it may be. Right. But it's clear that he's, he's listening and watching and reading what's happening. Right. So he sees, you know, these, these, uh, you know, these potential team Canada snubs and he, he uses that, you know, to fuel him. Right. And so again, I think he'd even said that he trained, you know, hard over the summer to come to camp, like in again, best shape of his life uh, time of year is we're hearing those a lot lately. But certainly, I, I believe it. I think I think he is, and I think he's motivated to show that he's not over the hill again. He's only he's only thirty one. You know, he said that he would like to play until he's forty, right? So I think as long as his body holds up, and it obviously, I think it has. I think he was having a really good season last year as well. But I think for him to have a good season, you know, th- the other players are going to have to kind of chip in it as well. I think for him to to eat the minutes that he used to eat is not necessarily going to be you know the way forward, especially at his age. Uh, so I think if they're able to kind of round out you know, that, that decor to, to provide some contributors there who are going to kind of help eat up some of those minutes and he can do what he does best. Um, I think that's going to be key. So I think, yeah, he can have a great season, but ultimately it's going to come down to, um, you know, the goaltending as well. And if that continues to work out the way that it did last year. And then again, if they're getting the results from the forward group, I'm really curious to see what Arvidsson does this year. Um, I think obviously with, he was seemed to be, um, disappointed with the, with the outcome in Nashville you know, he's not that far removed from a 30 goal season. And so I think obviously he was unfortunate with some of the injuries that he had in Nashville. And I think if he stays healthy this year uh, and he's motivated to kind of prove them wrong, that he's not, he's not done by any means. I think, you know, having him chip in 30 goals would obviously be immensely helpful uh, in, in trying to get into the playoff hunt. So you don't have to answer this. It's a little bit of an unfair question to ask people. If you had to predict in the Pacific Division of all eight teams, so Vegas, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, Arizona, Anaheim, uh, San Jose, sorry, not Arizona, they moved to the Central, Seattle, Anaheim, LA, and San Jose, where would you place the LA Kings as a prediction? If you don't want to answer, that's fine. Oh, um, well, I mean, I've got, I, I would have like Vegas, Edmonton, like near the top of that. Yeah. Um, and then who else, sorry, who else do we have? We have obviously Calgary. We have Seattle. We have oh yes, okay. Then you got the other two California teams who I'd have at the bottom, and I okay. have Seattle at the bottom with those ones. So it's honestly, I think like between four and five, it's going to be a, like a, a battle between you know the Kings and the Flames. I think ultimately it depends on what those other teams do. It's not necessarily. I don't think the Sharks are 
or that bad. But uh, if, if, if again, if the Kings are taking that next step in the rebuild, I would like to think that they're going to be kind of vying for that spot below below those top two, three teams. Okay. And last question for you here. Uh, you're a hockey historian. The LA Kings have one of the best across the board uniforms or jerseys in hockey history, aside from their current ones, in my opinion. What is your single favorite LA King jersey in their history? Yeah, I mean, I love the forum blue and gold, but I like as a kid who grew up in the 90s, you know, when Wayne Gretzky was there, um, like the black, black and silver, like Chevy logo is still like my favorite just because of the era. Like that's what everybody wanted when they were younger, even if like I wasn't a Kings fan when I was a kid, but I was obviously Gretzky was the greatest player in the game. And so like you gravitated towards him and you gravitated towards the rebrand that they did when he got there. Um, so for me, when they did the reverse retro last year, where it was like the Chevy logo and I get purple and gold, like it was, it was unreal. Right. So like, I mean, I wish they did that more, like more of that. Um, I'd love to see them bring back those colors just because it's unique. Nobody else in the league has those colors. Um, and I thought it looked really great, you know, with the Chevy logo, but for me, that's that the Chevy logo, whether it's in, in black and silver or, or, or purple and gold, um, that's that's number one for me, and I think that'll never change just because of the era in which I grew up in. You you you'd be hard pressed to argue uh, another case for me. Well, uh, for a team that has no wrong answers for their jersey history, that was actually the incorrect answer. The correct answer is the sash with the Burger King on the on the chest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I love the uh, the for the, the purple and gold was my personal favorite. So when they mixed that with the Chevy logo badge, I was like, oh my goodness! Yeah. I had to I spend- tried. Yeah. I tried to have them take my money. I honestly couldn't get my hands on one. Impossible. So, yeah. Yeah. My one regret. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, uh, Mike, this has been uh, really awesome. I hope it doesn't take three years again to chat with you. Um, although, take your time on the next book. You have kids, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah. Folks, Hockey 365, the second period is out now. We'll be giving away a copy. We encourage you to get one of your own if you're not fortunate enough to win it. Uh, anywhere where you get your books, published by the Dundurn Press, at Mike Camito on Twitter. Go give him a follow. He's um, excellent, excellent, excellent follow for posting uh, hockey history. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for jumping on the show. My pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And we are back. That is our interview with Mike Camito. Um, loved his choice for best jersey, but I still am adamant. Best LA Kings jersey, but I still am adamant that the Burger King was the right choice. It's god awful, but it's, it's the only awesome. choice. <laughs> it's funny because saying to Mike, the LA Kings have so many phenomenal jerseys to choose from. And if you ask for what the worst one was, it wouldn't be the Burger King with the sash, which is, you know, ostensibly terrible, actually. It'd be the ones that they currently wear, in my mind. Like, you have that storied history and you're using whatever it is they have now. Ugh, no. The piping apocalypse ended a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. They're one of the last holdouts to that. It's just the Reebok design era. Yeah. It it screams Reebok. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So uh, we started talking to Mike about the Pacific Division and the LA Kings. Uh, Mike is pretty... Uh, you know, hopeful for the LA Kings. He thinks that there's a chance that they could challenge for one of those wild card spots, be in the mix with the Flames and the Canucks um, around that three, four, five, six area, which is, I know, I know, just named a good portion of the division. But still, uh, what do you make the Pacific, Brad? Why don't we, why don't you give your, you know, projected rankings, your predictions, and then let's talk about some notable stories or storylines for you? Okay. Well, the no- the most notable storyline 
of this division before I give my rankings is that it's awful. Yeah. This is a terrible division. I have faith in one team in this division. One to even make the playoffs. Two of them are going to make it almost by default in, in my mind. And I'm sure one or two teams will surprise us. But this could be the division where at the end of the year, you're like, oh, you said this division would be terrible. And and this one team had 105 points. And it's like, yes, because they got to play the other, the rest of this division a lot this year. So, yeah, God, I got to keep that in con- that context in the back of your head throughout the whole season because I feel like it'll be a storyline. So uh, you want me to go eight to one or or one day? Yeah, it's, the world is your your canvas. What do you want? How do you want to do it? We'll get the obvious ones out of the way and go one day because okay. that's it's less interesting because I don't know if there's anybody who is making a prediction for who's going to win this division that isn't picking Vegas for any other reason other than they're just trying to be edgy. Yes. it's Vegas is the best team in this division. There's a lot of room for them to implode here. I don't love their top-end scoring. I don't love their full defensive depth. I do have faith in Robin Leonard, but he has – you know, been kind of injury prone, but not all that much recently. And he was good in the playoffs, that one game notwithstanding. Um, so yeah, it's it's Vegas. They have the most talent and the most depth in a bad division. So I, I think Vegas probably wins that division pretty comfortably. Okay. Um, I hate every other team in this division from a competitive standpoint, but someone's got to go two here. I, I legit would pick five or six teams in the Central ahead of number two in this division. So, you think that lowly of a team that has Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl? Yes, I do. Yeah, that's fair. Look at their defense and their goaltending. I'm not confident they make the playoffs. No, they, they are going to make the playoffs. Let me be very clear. I am putting them at number two in this division solely because of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I like Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman and Darnell Nurse. They are not enough. They are not enough to get a team to the playoffs. They are. They are an okay. Sc- secondary players to an okay team but the Oilers have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and that is single-handedly going to win them a bunch of games Nurse Barry Nurse and and Barry are not a bad top line to be deploying over an 82 game season for a fringe playoff team yeah 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 it's the fact that your second pairing is likely to be a what Keith Cece that's like that shouldn't be an NHL pairing that shouldn't be a pair that Plays in the NHL. I will say Cody Cece had a quiet actual redemption a little bit, but uh, for a second pair on a team that wants to be competing for cups, if Connor McDavid wins a cup with that as his second pair in defense, it'll be because Connor McDavid scored a thousand points in that playoff run. Yeah. If, if this team wins the Stanley cup constructed as they are, we need to shift the conversation from who's going to be better in their career. Crosby or McDavid to McDavid or Gretzky, because that would be a miracle. <laughs> You'd be, it would have to be because Evan Bouchard has just skyrocketed to be their number one to three defenseman, which yeah. actually he probably will end the year as and, number and three defenseman. Pick two random depth players who just inexplicably scored 30 goals. Yeah. Devin Shore and Warren Fogel are just going to absolutely light it up. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I I hate the long-term moves the Oilers made, but they're probably better this year than they were last. Assuming Mike Smith is close to what he was last year, which is extremely unlikely, but hey, here we are. So yeah, I'll go Edmonton number two because McDavid. Okay. Uh, Number three, I didn't think this at the time, but reviewing the whole division again, 
it's kind of by default and for the exact opposite reasons of the Oilers because on this team I really really like their defense and I really really like their goaltending and I have no idea who's going to score goals for them the Seattle Kraken really I really look at their defense and look at their goaltending that's enough to win you a bunch of games if Jaden Schwartz and Yanni Gord and Jonas Donskoy and their other myriad of middle six forwards can just scrape together three, four goals a game. That should be enough. It's like they're they're not they're what we thought the Vegas Golden Knights were right at the beginning, which was a lot of good players, but none of them are superstars. We know how that ended up. But Gorge, Schwartz, Eberly, McCann, Yarncroft, Donskoy. They're not that's they don't not ha- bad. They don't have weaknesses. That's the strength of the Kraken is one through four, they're gonna be able to produce four good lines. And I could almost argue all three of their defensive pairings are better than the Edmund they than are. the Oilers top pair. So <laughs> Well, I don't know about top pair, but Dunn, Larson, Giordano, Alexiak, uh Flurry, and I don't know, Susie, let's say, ends up being their, their top three pairs. Like that's there's no bad players there. That's gonna be as a whole, that is on paper, unless something crazy happens this season, better than Edmonton. Yeah, oh, by fo- by a lot. It's just they don't have a McDavid. They don't have a dry sidle. Man, and with Grubauer and Drieger and that, they might finish ahead of Edmonton. I'm not – I would not – if the Oilers didn't have dry sidle, yeah, no, very comfortably they would be ahead. Even with McDavid, I would put the Kraken. But yeah, the, the Kraken are the only other team in this division outside of Vegas where I don't have any concerns. For them, it's just upside. Are they going to score enough? That is – that is the question. Um, there's, like I said, there's no glaring weaknesses. And then the rest of this division sucks. I don't like any of these teams from a competitive. I don't think, um, like, just a, I'll just kind of rapid fire this, what I think the standings are going to be, and then I'll just kind of give reasons why. From here, I've got in order Vancouver, Calgary, LA, San Jose, Anaheim. Okay. Um, I think Vancouver has enough star power that it makes up for the glaring weaknesses on their roster. They're basically Edmonton light, except I have more faith in their goaltending, but they put less faith in Pedersen than McDavid. Yeah. Um, they're going to be fine. Uh, Calgary, they are the new Minnesota Wild. They're always going to be good enough to be on that fringe playoffs, but they are not good enough to really you know, make a ton of noise. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up in that third playoff spot, maybe even second, because again, I have zero faith in this division, but there's nothing special about this team, but there's nothing especially poor about this team. They're just kind of there. LA, they're young and up and coming and should be better. And I really like their offense. Their defense still sucks. And I still have huge questions about their goaltending. San Jose, uh, everybody's good, but they're a billion years old. So it doesn't matter. And Anaheim uh, somehow scored less goals than the Detroit Red Wings last year. So how can you have any faith in that team? Brad, we have one difference in our entire projected list. Dope. Golden Knights, very obviously. This is still... If they were in a very tough division, like if they were in the Atlantic division with that amount of competition, I could say, wow, the Golden Knights might find themselves having to fight harder than they might want to to secure a playoff spot, which I think they would end up in in whatever division they were in in the league if they had competition like Tampa Bay, like Toronto, like Boston, like, you know, Florida. But they don't. They're in the Pacific where their two best competition, their two best um the two teams competing the most with them are a team that 
is going to lose Connor McDavid in the next two to five years and a brand new team that literally has not played one NHL regular season game in their history. And those are both only half jokes when I say that. <laughs> like, Honestly. Um, they're still a fantastic team, but they are going to have the luxury of not coasting, but they're going to get away with quite a bit and have a, an easier regular season than other top teams in other divisions. I'm going to go Edmonton Oilers for the second uh, position as well. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, you know, Connor McDavid hitting 100 points in a shortened season. Like this guy is, if he retired today, he would already be one of the best players of all time. He is one of the best players to ever grace the ice in professional hockey. We're all fortunate to to be able to watch him. Um, And he legitimately wins you games. I do believe the moves that they made in the short run will help them to secure a spot in a weak division adding jack uh, adding jack hyman zach hyman is not a bad move at all if pull ends up working out well potentially on that top line he had a really sweet pass in the exhibition game last night actually they didn't make terrible moves especially on offense i i don't agree with the way ken holland runs that team but that's not a secret for anyone who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time um but you're right brad the their their defense is going to stop them in my mind from doing much more than that unless something changes also I don't know what their plan is in net. Something's got to change. I'm assuming it will, but you, you at someday you are going to stop being able to sign Mike Smith <laughs> because of the eventual heat death of the universe. I can only assume at which point you'll have to figure something else out. And Ken Holland has passed over a lot of really good, really cheap options. We don't know what happens in the back end. Not every goalie wants to go to Edmonton. A lot of Players don't want to go to Edmonton, but why on earth did he not sign Jonathan Bernier? I'm at a, I don't understand a, a lot of anything he did this offseason, but like I said, it was for the betterment of now. Fogel, Hyman, make them better today. Now, some of the trades and the other contracts they've signed, uh, what's this team look like right now in three years? Yeah, that's the issue. Oh, that's, they're, they're a lottery team at that point uh, if McDavid moves on. Here's the thing. Like, actually, if Connor McDavid left tomorrow or suffered a season-ending injury, as this team is constructed right now, they're a lottery team. They don't have enough to survive without him. I hope this ages poorly. Like, I hope this is one of our takes where people look back and think, oh, like, you know, they throw it in our face. And they're like, oh, look how dumb you guys were. I hope so, because I want to see Connor McDavid competing for cups. It's good for hockey. It's good for anyone who likes watching hockey. More Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl makes me happy. Yeah. I was angry with what the Oilers did this offseason because I want the Oilers to succeed. Yeah. Um, where we differ here, third overall, you had the Kraken. Uh, I'm going to give the Kraken some growing pains and I'm going to put them at fourth. And I I think that's actually a less reasonable pick than yours. Third, I'm going to add the Vancouver Canucks. Ridiculous thing to say for a team that has not signed their two best players. Um, but I'm going to imagine they're going to work it out with Elias Pettersson and Steve Eisenman is not going to get uh, to offer sheet him. Uh, and I'm going to assume they're going to work it out with Quinn Hughes. It's not the same situation as Edmonton, but overall, same kind of thoughts. I think long-term, they have a lot of issues. I think long-term, you have a GM that's fighting. Jim Jim Benning's fighting for his job in the short term. I'm shocked they even brought him back, and he knows he needs to get results now. And anytime a GM does not have a length of time to work with, you make rash decisions, which does not work in the NHL salary cap. Can they find short-term success? Yeah. Will it hurt them long-term unless something crazy happens? Also, yes. But as of right now, having Pedersen, Besser, Hoaglander, Garland, JT Miller, Vasily Podkolzin, Bo Horvat, like 
those are just seven players just in the top of your lineup. That's substantial. Like I think that's a substantial lineup, especially in a weak division. Quinn Hughes is, you know, the most obvious point to point to in that defense, and he will make a difference in the game. I don't really believe in the Oliver Ekman Larson revival, and that's coming from someone who really, really, really liked Oliver Ekman Larson. But let's say it does work out to some degree. Defense isn't going to be their strongest suit, but they could come up with something there. Um, and then in net between Demko and Halak, I'll assume one of them finds their you know finds the heat through the season. I can see them challenging for a playoff spot or at the very least that third spot in the division. I can see every team in the division challenging <laughs> for a playoff spot because there's nobody ahead of them that's all that threatening. <laughs> and then I have the Seattle Kraken who like we mentioned before, that lineup has a lot of really really good players. We don't we still don't know what Ron Francis is going to do in terms of trades and moves. If you look back to how Vegas dealt uh, in their first few seasons, the players that they brought in, how aggressive they were every deadline. Ron Francis has a choice. You can be very conservative and basically pre-tank your team and try to get either Shane Wright or uh, Mijkov or Bedard. He's past that point. I think he's past that point. And I think you have to go all in. And I think that's an economics thing. Yeah, I don't like what he did in the offseason, but the team that he has now, they're probably going to be a, a playoff contender i i mean they're built to be the minnesota wild right now which uh, do not recommend but hey the minnesota wild still make the playoffs more often than they don't this team in the atlantic not a playoff team no but this team in the pacific they have the chance and then yeah uh, i agree with you the calgary flames are in that middling part like i can't deny lindholm kachuk goudreau monahan manjapane coleman like, there's a lot of really strong talent on that team. Uh, I think losing Giordano is going to be really tough for them, just like the DNA of that team. That's a really uh, – like, it's not the exact same, but think of the how the the culture of the Red Wings, the core, the feeling of the Red Wings changed after Lidstrom retired. Obviously, Giordano's not Lidstrom. That's not what I'm saying, but it's hard to lose that kind of player. So I'm curious to see what effect that has. But, no, I, I think they – they could push up, but I see this as more of a middling year for them. Um, LA Kings, Mike talked, and you know, there's a lot to be hopeful for with the LA Kings, but even on balance with all their young prospects, I still think for that to translate, as much as Kopitar and Doughty want it to be more, it's going to take another year or two. Not a bad lineup by any means. Um, Jared Anderson, Dolan, Andreas Athanasiu, and Gabe Velarde is a projected line by one outlet I was looking at. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a fun line. Um, I think this. I think their success this year is going to be dictated by what Quinton Byfield does when he inevitably ends up on the roster, um, and Cal Peterson's going to have to have another lights out year to push them up the standing. So they can move up, and then the Sharks and the Ducks. The Sharks aren't where the Ducks are, but the Sharks are still kind of reeling from when they thought they were very very good to uh, now they're looking at Carlson's contract and going, oh shit, oh shit, oh fuck, oh shit. He might not even be a top two worst contract on that team right now. That team is in such a bad spot. There is no team in the NHL in a worse spot than the San Jose Sharks right now because they're bad, old, expensive, and those contracts don't expire soon. When we talk about teams pushing all their chips in and it's a risk, this is, we always frame it in a positive context, right? Like think of the payoff. This is how it hurts you. This is a risk deployed in a manner that turned out poorly for the Sharks. And whether you think that was a good risk to take or it was always going to end up this way, this is the flip side of that. Um, also, what's going to happen with Evander Kane, who 
I mean, we've been recording for about 40 minutes, which means there's seven more investigations into him since we started. Um, that's not a nothing player to lose. That's literally a first line winger. Probably one of your two or three best players. <laughs> like, and all their old expensive declining players last year are still expensive and older. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That is our Pacific Division preview. Let's jump over to the Central. So we have Colorado, Minnesota, Winnipeg, St. Louis, Nashville, Chicago, Dallas, and Arizona. Arizona obviously was moved over from the Pacific to the Central to make room for Seattle. So Brad, rattle us off and chat a little bit about what your projected standings are for the Central Division. Um, Let's just start... With the obvious one, Arizona is going to be last. Oh, you're going backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go backwards on this one because Arizona has nobody. Sorry, I'm just pulling up my thing here. So um, they actively got rid of anybody with a heartbeat to acquire every pick in the 2022 draft. And nobody from the 2022 draft can play for them this season. So they're going to finish this season roughly two and 80. <laughs> um, they are probably going to give Buffalo a hell of a run for the worst team in the NHL. Okay. And this division, unlike the Pacific, is stacked. So they are going to be a speed bag for the rest of this division. Cause even the bad teams in this division are still kind of good with the exception of maybe Nashville. Mm-hmm. Which spoiler, my seventh team is Nashville. You have Nashville at seven. Who can you comfortably say is worse than them other than Arizona? <sighs> I don't know. I have Dallas and Chicago in and around there. They're around there. I don't think they're that bad, but hmm. they're uh Nashville like sold this offseason. They didn't sell enough, but they sold. They did not acquire talent. They got rid of Victor Arvidsson and um weird, weird decisions that team. Yeah, I think they know the writing's on the wall, and they're kind of in the same boat as San Jose where a lot of their key players have steeply hit their decline, and they're still very expensive for a while, so they're kind of up the creek without a paddle. But that's where they are. Um, Next, I'm going to put Chicago. Okay. I don't think they're bad. I think they are going to be far closer to competing for a playoff spot than they will be for competing for a lottery pick. Um. Again, long-term, I think this offseason put them in a great situation to fail. But in the short term, they're definitely better. They've got the reigning Vezin Trophy winner. They got Seth Jones. They're getting Jonathan Taze and Kirby Dock back. And DeBrinckit's just going to be older, another year older and better. Patrick Kane's still going to be good. So th- there's a lot of reasons to like the Hawks and to think they will improve. And I think they will. I don't think they improve all the way to a playoff spot, but... Definite, definitely better. Uh, at number five, five, I've got Dallas. Don't they're they're kind of the early example of what the Kraken might be. Mm-hmm. They have a great defense, a uh, lot of depth in goaltending. Um, you wonder where the goals come from. They're deep up front in terms of they have a lot of quality NHL players, but with Jamie Ben and Tyler. I'll say Jamie Ben's decline and Tyler Sagan's return from major injury. I don't think they have a superstar there. I don't think they... I will not stand for this Luke Lendening erasure. <laughs> I I think they're going to try to score by committee and 
that sometimes works works that sometimes doesn't. And other than Miro Haskinen, there's not a lot of certainties about this team. So Ryan Suter was a nice addition. And again, uh, Holtby as insurance in net doesn't hurt, but I don't think there's anything super special about them. Then next up for fourth, I am going to throw in the St. Louis Blues, um, a team on the decline, but has made some nice moves. I thought the Pavel Buchnevich uh, trade was a tidy bit of work. They still have Vladimir Tarasenko. They still have a good defense. They still have Ryan O'Reilly. They still have a lot of really good players. Um, they lost Jaden Schwartz and Vince Dunn, which sucks. Uh, hence why I have them in fourth and not higher. Um, they're a fringe playoff team for me, but they're still the Blues. Uh, three, I've got Winnipeg. Okay. Um, the Nate Schmidt. Acquisition was a tidy bit of work for their defense. They have one of the best goalies in the league. They finally addressed their defensive issue, which is good. They still have Nikolai Ehlers, Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, Pierre-Luc Dubois. They are not hurting for offense. Um, so I think they're going to score a ton of goals. Hellbuck's enough to keep them in most games. And if their defense is even NHL average, this is a team that could probably surprise a lot of people because from what I've seen – most people aren't very high on them this year. And I, I think me putting them third is way more optimistic than the consensus, but <laughs> I get it. I get it. I just, I, I really like their offense. I like their depth and I like their goaltending. It's enough for me to keep them interesting. Uh, number two, I think I made fun of them four times when talking about the Pacific, but uh, hey, here we are, the Minnesota Wild. Dollar dollar Bill Curl. <laughs> they needed a superstar forever and they got one. Um, we're not going to talk about their cap situation. We're just talking about the roster. Yeah, that's the big, <laughs> that's, that's the caveat. Uh, am I going to have them here next year? Probably not, but I really like Kaprizov. I really like Kevin Fiala. Jordan Greenway is underrated. They still have one of the top defenses in the league. Their goaltending is always a question, but it held up well last year. So no reason to think it won't again this year. And again, yeah, I just, they're a, they're a team top to bottom that is very deep, very good, very fast. Um, Joel, Joel Erickson Eck was a revelation last year as a Selkie contender. So if he's even close to that again this year, that's tremendous value for them. So I like, I like Minnesota. I don't expect them to make a lot of noise in the playoffs, but they're a deep team. And then, I mean, I don't think it's a question of if, Colorado wins this division. It's just by how many points? Is it going to be close or do they run away with this by 20 points? Because it, it's theirs to lose for a million miles. It's the easiest decision, I think. It's next to the Vegas Golden Knights. There's a reason why we call the West. Colorado and Arizona are very firmly in their spots in this division, and you can interchange just about everybody else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to go through this quickly. I'm going to go top to bottom. And annoyingly, Brad, we have one difference again. God. Yeah. I actually had half a mind to put Winnipeg second, which is why I was laughing. Um, but I didn't in the end because of the reasons you stated. I think it would be too high. And because Minnesota did work out the Kirill Kaprizov thing, um, they got it for me. But yeah, Colorado, obviously first. That's an actual cup contending team. Yeah, I mean, they're right up there with Tampa Bay. They're right up there probably with Florida and whoever else you want to stick in that likely tier. Um, that team is constructed brilliantly. This is when you think about how you want Steve Eisman to build a team and what patience in the long game gets you. It's what the Colorado Avalanche have and will have. Granted, 
freaks of nature like Kale McCarr certainly help. Having a former first overall pick, Nathan McKinnon certainly helps. Still, that's that's what it turns out to be. Um, I'm not 100% on this, but I am going to put Minnesota second. Kaprizov is a difference maker. He wins you games. Um, Talbot and Kakinen have both shown the ability to win games as well. And um, there's a lot to be said about that defensive core too. So I think they'll be up there, but I don't know. I, I agree with you. I can't sleep on on Winnipeg either. I, I can't get away from the fact that maybe they're a little bit underrated. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't throw that out the window. I could see Winnipeg easily ending up. They have a lot of variance of where they can end up this season. Yeah, like I said, their defense was garbage, but adding Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon was two of the more underappreciated moves of the offseason. And then at four, I, I think St. Louis is there as well. I could see them maybe sneaking a little bit further up the lineup, but that's about where I have St. Louis. They'll have to do something with Tarasenko. I don't know how that one's going to play out. It's pretty interesting that nothing has happened, but I guess we had more of a fill this offseason with crazy stories, and that one just kind of dissipated. It's like Eichel, very, very light, right? Yeah, like, we need we need that. Uh, like Since Eichel's never getting traded, maybe that Tarasenko trade will come through and give us something to talk about in the next week. <laughs> and it'll give us a blueprint for how Eichel gets traded, right? Like injury pun concerns. Pun intended. What did I say? Blueprint. Uh, yes, pun intended. It's me, aware of what I'm saying on a podcast. Um, five, six, seven is tough for me. I have Dallas, Nashville, Chicago. And I'm, I'm going to stick with Dallas, Nashville, Chicago. Uh, in that order but it's hard for me to look at chicago gaining two top two centers in at least for them jonathan taves and kirby doc and putting them at seventh i think that is something i'm going to end up being wrong about like it or not i think they're going to end up substantially higher than that and having them flanked by debrinket kane tyler johnson kubelik kurashev like it's not a bad group to to talk about they're going to score a lot of goals. My 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 problem with them is um, when I'm trying to rattle off defensemen for the Chicago Blackhawks, I say Seth Jones, and then I struggle to think of anybody else. Dahan, Connor Murphy, Jake McCabe. McCabe's underrated. Yeah. Riley Stillman. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could see Nashville falling there. I actually – I. I was kind of surprised when you put them at seven, and now that we're talking about it, I can see why on balance they might be the losers in that situation. And Arizona's Arizona. That team is – Buffalo West is a good way to describe it. Over under 50 points. How Over how many seasons? The, <laughs> the fact that's not an obvious answer shows you how bad they are. Because you know how garbage you have to be to be under 50 points? Yeah. Like the the, the 2019-20 Detroit Red Wings were flirting with 50 points. <laughs> okay let's jump into overtime here we don't have a lot of time left and we want to get uh, as many overtime questions in as possible uh want to start off with or sorry this is a midweek episode i forgot we're doing midweeks now uh this is patreon exclusive so our patrons get their comments read out on air as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show um we're going to start with jake bloom who says now that you're partnered up with the wings do you think you can pull some strings and get a real goal horn in the lca no but what we did do is uh build a nice little comfy couch for evan in the catwalk of the arena and whenever they score he's just gonna go hey and that's gonna be a lot lot better than what we have now at the lca Come on, Abdulkader. <laughs> Nick Geyer says, hey, guys. Uh, happy technically first day of Red Wings hockey. And just wanted to say, Furk, Andre, Deniskin, have a good night. Uh, Simon says, 27, says, when will Datsuk get in the Hall of Fame? He's still playing. So he has to wait three years after he's done playing hockey. 
So does pro hockey a broad count? I don't yep. know. Yeah, well, then. it's the Hockey Hall of Fame, not the NHL Hall of Fame. Right, so right, 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 right. right. Uh, if Pavel Datsuk retires at the end of this season, which isn't a guarantee, he would not be eligible till 2025. And to me, Datsuk should be a first ballot, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Lee says, I feel like with the wings adding Kosin and, and Nadelkovic, they have taken over the goalie talk, but I thought Bratstrom has looked pretty solid at camp. I'm hoping he gets some preseason time. Think he has a shot at playing North America or is he headed back to Europe? I think he's already signed to Grand Rapids, isn't he? Uh, uh, yeah, he. I thought he was very specifically brought over to playing Grand Rapids this year. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think that one is Detroit's goalie pipeline's not deep, right? So they're going to have to figure something out yeah. in terms of <laughs> who's going to play in Grand Rapids. Um, Cody Stark says, since you guys get full of anxiety and take too, uh, take up too much time with my tough food and drink questions, I'll ask something else. Rank all of Samuel L. Jackson, Jackson's movies worst to best. All of them? <laughs> uh, best one is... Um, Best is snakes on a plane and worst is snakes on a plane. <laughs> okay. Actually, that's a really good answer. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, why can't I think of the very, very obvious ones here? Of his good movies? Yeah. There are so many. Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction. Thank you. I cannot think of the, the name Pulp Fiction. <laughs> My recall was great before starting a podcast, I swear. Can we, and we can also count Jurassic Park as a Samuel L. Jackson movie. Yes, we can. We absolutely can. Absolutely. Um, Arjun Shanker says hey Ryan when you guys go to the LCA can you snag a Red Kelly retirement banner for me yes Arjun I will try um, you know I really thought I'd be buying more jerseys for goalies like Bernier for a few years at least uh, Poyo says who's ready for all the Krakens first I just want to point out that Riley Sheehan scored the first goal in Kraken history he's also the first player wearing number 15 to score a goal in franchise history and I just want to say historic Jacob Snyder says hey guys new patron here Jacob Thank you so much for your support and welcome to the Dubbed Up family. He says, from the least memorable part of Canada, good old New Brunswick. Keep up the good work. I don't think New Brunswick's the least memorable. No, I think he's right. <laughs> <laughs> just just putting some thought into it, I think he's right. <laughs> the territories are unique. Western Canada is big and beautiful. PEI is like so small, it's charming. We all have, you know, the jokes about Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Astute observation. Uh, Greg P says, I love that this was posted nine minutes ago and there's already eight comments. Diehard Winged Wheel podcast fans are the best. Can't wait to meet meet everyone in a couple months. Uh, Mark Chandonet says, honest expectations for Nadelkovich this season. I can't see him putting up numbers anywhere close to what he did in Carolina. Yeah, behind a much worse defense, it's not going to be the case. It's going to be like Bernier. We're going to look at every night and go, wow, this guy is absolutely unreal and that 9 12 safe percentage does not do it justice <laughs> jake Kiefer says do you think morgan riley should be a potential ufa target for the wings or does that really depend on the steps cider and heronic take this year if he is would he be worth overpaying for on the open mar- open market <sighs> so my opinion right now on the the free agent market for detroit is basically no defense no goaltending because they are so stocked in those areas in the pipeline between Nedeljkovic and Kosa and Edvinson and Sider and Hironic and Johansson. And I could keep going and going and going until you really are confident in what you have in those guys. There's no sense overpaying for defensemen. Right now, they need to overpay for a forward. Yes. I so if, if you're going to overpay anybody, overpay a forward, not a defenseman or a goalie because there's hope there. Uh, Colorado 14er says Jeff Blashill indicated that he enjoys hallucinations to Helene St. James on Tuesday. And that explains a lot. Uh, Don't we all? 
Yeah. Who doesn't? Adam Bybee says U of M's hockey team consists of Power, Hughes, the Luke variety, Beecher, Beniers, Brisson, Duke, Johnson of the Kent, uh, and Samuskevich. Seven first rounders and 13 drafted players overall. That team's going to be a force. Oh, yes. Uh, John Schultz. Good to hear hear from you again. He says, I'm late, but congrats on the Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA. Noah and I are looking forward to seeing you guys and everyone else we met last time around. With that in mind, Ken Daniels is a national treasure, and his appearances on the pod are among my favorites. What an absolutely down-to-earth human being. Um, yeah, we can't say enough how much we love when Ken jumps on the show. It feels as natural talking hockey with him as anyone else, more than anyone else, and obviously incredible, incredible insight. Uh, Ken Holland does not deserve a statue in Detroit. Even if I could build a cup winner, uh, even I could build a cup winner if Papa Illich's bank blank checks were bankrolling me. He's shown that his asset management in the cap era is a dumpster fire. Uh, regarding goalies, I heard it mentioned that Bernier was walking. I think even Ken said this on your pod. His comments in the press seem to say the opposite. Did I miss something? Um, it's been confusing because Bernier didn't want to be traded. Like he was really nervous about being traded. He felt sick about it. He said. But there was a lot. I don't know. It seemed like a foregone conclusion after Bernie left that he was always going to leave. So I don't. One of those things we'll never know. Opinions change, of course. Situations change. Maybe he thought he can get more money on the open market than Detroit was willing to offer. All that would have been very fair for the opinion to change later on. Um, maybe that's something we can get more insight into later. Um. Lastly, you guys did an admirable admirable job discussing the Bertuzzi situation. It was thoughtful and rational, so no one should have come away from that offended. Even so, I'm curious, how bad did your mentions get after that episode? I didn't about? look. I didn't look. I actually didn't look. I looked at one I looked at one thing, and it was very funny because it was such a terrible insult. Like, it was just such a weak insult. I'm like, really? That's what you're going to give me? Um, but I genuinely didn't look. I can't. Nope. Not on this didn't. one. <laughs> I, I retweeted the uh, the the episode tweets and all that and i'm like yeah and bye that's the last time i'm looking at that <laughs> mute this conversation got a lot of heavy work yeah <laughs> matt s says uh you guys have been keeping me entertained while i'm on a 5600 mile road trip from michigan to las vegas and back in my shelby mustang going back and listening to the uh original pods uh was very entertaining there are future projections that have not aged well yeah welcome to the show uh keep up the good work as always dub dubs you know you guys feel free to point out anything we got right which isn't a lot, but like, you know, anything. Sam W says, who do, you, who do you have your eye on for the 2022 draft? Shane Wright. Shane Wright. Yeah. Crazy how we both had the same answer there. Yeah. This is weird. Uh, I don't know. Uh, beyond him, Logan Cooley's caught my attention this summer, but um, barely watched any of them. Connor Dukes says, if Witkowski and Smith were pro wrestlers, what would their entrance music be? If who? Con- uh, Witkowski and Smith. Uh, I, whatever that the most stereotypical country song is to you, that's the one. Um, hmm. For Giovanni, I feel like he'd be a modern guy, but I don't. That's not like I don't have a lot of contenders there. Mine would be Gasolina. That's what I would walk into. You know, it's good. Revan Lobsaber says, hey, guys, are there any more details on Windwheel Podcast Night at the LCA? Uh, we're working on them. It's just. The finer details are tough to work out when the arena isn't quite open yet, but we're trying to get those to ASAP. Among the other issues we're working through right now. Yeah. <laughs> like like having to fly in somewhere that would otherwise be a three-hour drive. <laughs> Never say we're not dedicated. Um, Dave Fantos has gone to my first Wings game in two years this Saturday. What are the chances that Sider doesn't play? What are the chances that Raymond does? Uh, oh. 50-50 for both, I would say. Yeah. They're probably... 
it's a pretty heavy preseason schedule. So I'm going to guess most guys, especially the young guys, will play 50 to 60% of the preseason games. Uh, Lars, the prophet of the Tower and Behemoth, uh, is asking about Bertuzzi's vaccination situation, referring to it as a life decision. That would mean that his trade value come deadline is shot to hell. Good chance. Yeah. Unless with the team trading for him had no more Canadian games left and or there wasn't really a chance of them playing a Canadian playoff team. I was going to say, yeah, even the regular season schedule doesn't matter because if you're an Eastern Conference team and let's say you're the Bruins and all your remaining games are like Florida, Tampa, the Rangers, the Islanders. Yeah. You could walk right into the Leafs in the playoffs and then like, so the only way his trade value isn't tanked at the deadline is because restrictions have loosened or he decided to get the vaccine. And even then, Hockey, old hockey men are all about character and team first guys. And right now, I don't think Pertuzzi is going to have a team first character guy reputation around the league at the moment. And what fair or not, I, I think that's going to be the reality of the situation. So quite honestly, um, I could see Bertuzzi's trade value going up from where it is now if he plays well and the restrictions yep. are loosed. But I don't think it'll ever be as high as it was. No, it would have to be a pretty phenomenal season. Yeah, like he, we're talking like 30, 40 goal, like no questions asked. Completely healthy. Yeah. Um, we're running out of time here. Andrew Forche says, since we're talking Western Conference, are there any hypothetical trades you'd like for the Red Wings to pursue at West? Uh, yes. Tyler Bertuzzi for Connor McDavid. You know what? That actually, <laughs> it can't happen anymore because he got traded. Uh, Connor Garland, I would have loved to have picked him up somehow from Arizona. Honestly, there's no reality where this makes any sense, but just because I know he's on the trade block, let's see Phil Kessel in the winged wheel, just for the memes. Someone asked me that. They're like, is Detroit going to pick up Phil? I was like, no, but I would like them to. <laughs> yeah. Like, would it make any sense and be any benefit for the long-term future of the wing? Absolutely not, but I would love to see it. Uh, Stevie Langerman says, hey, gents, so stoked for hockey starting in every way. The wings, the NHL, NCAA, the Olympics, and even Brad complaining about Blashill's lines. What do you think of the Seattle jerseys now that you've seen them on the ice? <laughs> I absolutely love them. I'm not even kidding. I have in production right now beer league jerseys that are our logo on the crack, not our wing wheel, but like my beer league team's logo on the Kraken jerseys. Um, oh, this is really great. Stevie goes on to say, lastly, I don't remember who said it, but someone commented on the Patreon uh, comments last week that they've been feeling low, battling depression and going through a hard time. And I just want to call out that you're not alone, my friend. I'm sure this goes for other listeners too, but I've, I know I've definitely been there, experienced panic attacks, etc. And for sure, I it, uh, know that I can feel isolating. So I just want to shout out that you got this. Wind Wheel Podcast, boys, you guys are rock stars as usual. And that's as always, let's go Red Wings. Stevie, you're a gem. And last comment here from Max One Million says, I'm sure you know now, but Blashill said the only way Raymond makes the Wings roster is if he makes it so obvious even Mrs. Blashill says he needs to make the team. Now that we've taken to deferring to Mrs. Blashill for roster advice, what are some other things that we need to defer to Mrs. Blashill that are on the outside of her pay grade? Um, Power play. She can't have done worse than... Yeah, Dan Bilesma. And uh, by all rights, she knows her hockey. She, the uh, What's it called? Sorry, Blashills yeah. have been in the hockey business for a long time. The uh, transition game. Uh, we can defer to her. That, that can't be can't be worse. I have high hopes for her. I think she'll do well. Uh, Sticking to your lines. Building proper lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, okay. Next episode, next couple episodes, 
uh, are going to continue our division previews before we start to get into the Red Wings season preview. And then don't blink, the Red Wings regular season starts soon. Uh, an hour and a half after we wrap up this episode is the Red Wings' first exhibition game, which most everyone's going to have a hard time even getting eyes on. Don't read too much into it. But for now, we're going to wrap up. Thank you all so much for your support. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, um, including our name level Patreon supporters, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, um, Terry Driver of Cry and Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, Taylor Tagel, and Pizza, Brandon M., Carl, Carl Brutan and Analuski, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Clayton Van Dyken, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hannah Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, James E., Jeremiah Dobo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Snorting Maple Syrup, Stacey Lynn, Stove Eiser Plans, Joe Santangelo, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam I Wish I Could Finish Like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Currently Out of Name Ideas, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, um, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Revy DeLuca, Trevor Pevivar, Tyler Bertuzzi isn't a team player, Vaxed Wax and blocked by Tyler Bertuzzi's burner, Zach Handyside, Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. We'll see you, we'll see you Sunday. Oh, man, two weeks. We're here. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.